welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bichon. I have you guys hijacked here today because I've been writing a lot of articles about hay value and valuing the nutrients in your hay. And I was hoping you guys could kind of back me up on some of the stuff I've been saying because I get a little bit out there with my examples to show extremes, <laughs> but but there is a reason why I do what I do because, I mean, as we've seen a lot of samples come in through the extension office here in Garfield County, I saw a Milo hay sample that was 2.5% protein, and I saw one that was 10% protein. And that kind of clicked in my head that, in my mind, if I have a 10% protein hay that's usually all my cows would ever need, no matter what their stage of pregnancy. So maybe Dana, you can kind of talk a little bit about the nutritional requirements of a cow real quick and yeah. how that changes. Yeah. So we typically say a dry cow uh, requires on a full diet, on their entire diet, eight percent pro- a minimum of 8% protein, 54% TDN. We can't forget the energy. Mm-hmm. We will talk a lot about protein today. Um, and then a lactating cow requires 10% protein, and a 58% TDN on a full diet basis. So yeah, you're correct, a 10%. But, but that is, as long as that protein, the energy and the fiber level is actually adequate enough for them to break that down and get all that protein out of it. Right, yeah, and that that's an incredibly important point that, that I try to uh, to discuss because with partial budgeting or comparative analysis, whatever you want to call it, whatever fancy term you want to put on it, you're looking at one input and changing changing the entire system based off one input. And energy is a very important thing, especially get into the cold part of winter. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps a cow warm. It's not protein. Typically, we dump a bunch of 20% cubes when it's cold because we feel bad for them. If we really cared about them, we might dump 14s mm-hmm. because that energy would be higher and that's what they're burning to stay warm. But when I was doing some of my analysis, you know, of looking at these different qualities of hay and what got me concerned is the price of hay. So in a general year, you can get about all the low quality crabgrass you want for $35 a bale for a five by five or five by five and a half bale. And, you know, those bales can weigh anywhere from 12 to 1300 pounds usually. And I'm making a lot of generalizations here. So, mm-hmm. so apologize for that. But, you know, when people like to buy hay by the bale and, you know, hundred pounds, 200 pounds of hay can be difference in those bales and the size of those bales makes a huge difference in that as well. Uh, which is tricky because you think like a four foot by or four by five or four by six would be smaller than a third less hay in a four foot bale versus a five foot bale for any given size and you know they they sell these balers as four by six and five by six or four by five usually are the different sizes and as you can imagine most of the surface area of a bale is in the outside layers so Whenever someone sells you a five by five bale, they are really selling you short versus someone that's selling you a five by six because there is a lot of hay in that outside ring on the, yeah. those, those last foot. 24, 25% in about the last four inches. Yeah. Yeah. Four inches. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and then I had, you know, again, producers and get, getting into all these costs. Yeah. <laughs> compl- complaining about the cost of net wrap this year because net wrap went up. And I figured about $2 a bale for net wrap. And uh, guess what? If you put more hay inside the bale and wrap it with the same amount of net, relatively, yeah, that's a cheaper cheaper cost too. So there's reasons to make your hay bales bigger. 
you get on the mechanic side and they'll say that it wear and tear on the baler is more. And if you have very rough fields and bailing big bales can be a problem. So there's mm-hmm. reasons to bale smaller, but just know the limitations of what you're doing. Yes. Can I just and, say that buying hay by the bale is really frustrating for someone <laughs> trying to help you yeah. figure costs? I mean, maybe that's what you're going to say, Trent. Well, as a nutritionist, it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, you yeah. should always, okay, so you buy it by the bale, but you should always work it back to the 10. You should, mm-hmm. everything, 10 is the apples to apples comparison, guys. And so it's so frustrating. And, and so if you buy it by the 10, then you get around this whatever how many sizes you just mentioned (laughs) so yeah it's just crazy and and if you're getting really particular which no one does but if you were a savvy hay buyer you'd be concerned about the moisture level of the hay right because if you bale a hay at 15 percent moisture versus seven and a half you've got a lot of water sitting in there that doesn't necessarily do your cow any good unless you're paying a lot to hauler water i guess or if you have a pond that's dry yeah because because Dana could also say that when cows are grazing wheat, they tend to get enough water from the wheat forage alone that they wouldn't even need to drink. So you take that into account. But the Milo that I was bailing this year is incre- was incredibly dry whenever we swathed it. And then I left it on the ground for about two weeks because it takes forever for stems to right. dry down. Yeah. And I, even I still, after two weeks, the stems were green in, uh, in some of those bales. It takes a long time. Yeah. So that was incredibly difficult. But, you know... What we've seen this year is if you have a relatively green hay that was short and whenever we bailed it up and ground it up and made it super fine, that made those bales heavier. And I've seen some five by five and a half, very few five by sixes, but five by five and a half bales, they were weighing 1,600 pounds. And you can kind of tell whenever you back up to it with your pickup and start to lift it that all of a sudden that electric <laughs> motor, yeah, <laughs> you can tell those bales are heavier. So... Again, bring it all back to it's not uncommon to see hay at five by five and a half bale bringing $100 a bale. That's a lot different than our poor quality crabgrass bale from a year or two ago that was $35 a bale. So then I started comparing, you know, what's the difference in these costs? And I just wanted to set, say the two and a half percent protein bale was free. What should the 10% protein bale be worth over that two and a half percent bale? Yeah. So... I was using comparative feeds like 20% cubes at $435 a ton, mm-hmm. feeding that cow, what was it, 14 and a half pounds, I think. Yeah, 13 so and a half, 13 I think and a half what, pounds yeah. of 20% cubes to get her up to a 10% protein total diet. Mm-hmm. Not worrying about energy, of course, but uh, just to get her up to that 10%. And that was $98 a bale difference. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to supplement with 14% cubes, since I'm only concerned with protein in this situation, the protein from a 14% cube is more expensive than it is from a 20. So that sent that cost over a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And then I also compared alfalfa hay. And then, you know, we tend to add cubes on top of hay consumed, but then whenever we supplement with alfalfa, we substitute poor quality hay with alfalfa. We're just talking about there's only so many square inches of room in a rumen. Right. So if she's eating this hay, she's got to have room to put it in there. And you can see cows starve to death with full bellies because they the hay is so poor quality they can't digest it fast enough to get nutrients from it. So I've yeah, I've had those experiences in my my own past where you're feeding low quality hay and the cow condition just keeps going down. You're like, they're eating all they can. They're probably eating 40 pounds of hay a mm-hmm. day, but it just stays there. You yeah, know? you just have to have the protein for those microbes to be able yeah. to do the process and break it down. So, But with the alfalfa, I used a observation of $330 a ton, which everyone's just like, oh my gosh, that's expensive alfalfa. You know, normally it's about $200 a ton. 
still cheaper than supplementing with 20% cubes mm-hmm. at $430 a ton. And I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it was like, oh, it was at least 50 cents a day less than, yeah, I think than you're 20% right. yeah. cubes. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the total number. Because again, in that situation, if you were buying the, the horrible 2.5% protein hay for $100 a bale or whatever, right. and you substituted that that value with alfalfa hay at $330 a ton, it all worked out to where you'd be saving even more than that per day per mm-hmm. cow. And I was assuming a 1,200 pound cow eating 36 pounds of hay a day, which yeah. mine easily do if I yeah. give them free choice hay. And I like to do that because I don't want them mad at me. Yeah, well, <laughs> cows will eat much more than they actually need. Yeah, yeah if you so. give them the fire to burn it, I mean, right, that, that extra protein, they will eat it. Yeah, so, you know, you wouldn't necessarily like it. That is an excellent comparison, but you wouldn't want to necessarily feed 13 pounds of 20s in one day no. mean, necessarily. Mm. And definitely don't every other day feed with that amount. That's crazy. They but couldn't. it does no. show that low quality hay, how poor and how costly it is, mm-hmm. even if it's cheap. It really costs you in the long run, whether it's cow condition or you know added supplements. Um, if you're really looking at it, if you really care. If you don't, well, you've got you know cows with big bellies that are skinny because they can't break it down. And then the other side of that you think about is standing native forage, or if you have some forage that's getting bailed up right now, which I know it is. Yeah. You know, I'm still bailing yeah. native grass. <laughs> I mean, that Josh, can, come well, on. I've had some breakdowns. Yeah. <laughs> but that hay. Could be two and a half. It could be five percent, and there's a huge difference there too. I mean, just getting up to five percent protein mm-hmm. makes such a big difference when you're talking about supplementing. And this is something that, going into another little bit of a topic that I'll just anecdotally speak about because I don't have a whole lot of numbers on it, but we've had a lot of producers that it was too hot during the summer. They didn't work calves. I was one of them. You know, I didn't want to move my calves. I was busy doing other things because I'm not a full time farmer whatever you get to this point of the year and you haven't weaned your calves you still have bulls all these different things what do you do in terms of backgrounding and you can put them into an oqbn sale and typically we would expect that they would get somewhat of like a 10 percent return mm-hmm. on their investment yeah. there mm-hmm. uh, or a 10 percent increase in price right right and That's so the investment part is the the kicker there what is it going to cost to background them the numbers I did do was back before we were doing those wheat meetings, Josh, uh, back when we thought it might still rain and get wheat pasture, we were talking about backgrounding calves. And I was figuring for the cost of background a calf, I would have to run that calf for 110 days at two pounds of gain per day to break even on the backgrounding. So that's the vaccinations plus the feed. That and the feed. The feed's yeah. the expensive yeah, the feed part. Is, so, vaccines haven't changed too much. But. So you cut a bull. And he stays the same or goes backward because he's hurting and he's healing up and you're feeding him $400 a ton cubes and and expensive hay to try to keep him in good shape. That adds up fast. And then any amount of death loss on that also just ruins the equation. But then we were also talking about, okay, it's dry. What if we have a shorter grazing period? If I was only able to graze those calves for 90 days, it was something like they had to gain three pounds a day just to pay for the backgrounding. So you'd run them all winter long on your wheat Take away from that wheat resource, which that cost was figured into that, uh, you know, the negative impacts on the wheat yield, and you still didn't make any money. So that's where you get into, well, if I just sell bulls, I might get a 20 or $30, 100 discount because they're bulls and they're not worked. You might, and that might be what they're worth, because if you're going to go out and try to 
pay for this expensive hay to background these animals, you better know what you're doing and you better have a good buyer. Like I've, I've told producers, you know, if you have a load lot of calves and you have a place for them to go, or you're maybe sending them to the feedlot on your own and you're willing to make that long-term investment in those calves, it makes more sense. But at some point, as a small producer in a bad situation like a drought, you kind of have to just understand that you're in a bad situation mm -hmm. and, and feeding a profit into cattle has made a lot of people go bankrupt. Mm. Right. So, I mean, you, you sit there and you feed them and you feed them and you hope and you pray and, and the market says, no, I'm not going to reward you for this effort. Thanks for trying. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we try to, you know, a lot about of extension work is trying to keep people from making terrible decisions. <laughs> trying to. <laughs> and, and, and it's more, it's more about making, making it to next year. And, you know, we don't teach people home runs. I mean, no, let's not, be honest. no, we do not. We no, do not recommend, we, you know, like. Yeah, we just try to keep them from eating high nitrate hay. And the right. rest of it is up to the managers to make good money. So that's that's all I'm trying to say here is, you know, those are the pitfalls that you could step off into. You have to have a really good plan of why you're going to spend all this money. Uh, because again, you sell those calves, take that discount, sell your hay for $100 a bale. You know? Right. What's well, that comparison? Right. And then you didn't have to do any of that work. Yeah, true. I mean, that that is the reality in some of these situations. Um, you don't want to have to, I mean, you do in some situations want to retain that core group of cows. You've really, you know, if you've built them up, if you've taken the time to build the genetics mm -hmm. up, but maybe not that 11 year old cow. Okay. There, there is some places here where we do some, make some calling decisions, you know, and like you said, at some point, those calves may not be worth to feed the, the hay. I bet you get rid of the hay. Mm -hmm. Um, you, mm -hmm. if you sold the calves and, and had some extra hay. So yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think I, I agree with what you're saying, Trent. Um, go into like some of these situations with more knowledge. So go into the nutrition with a hay, you know, a hay test. Just know what you're feeding. Um, I think Mark Johnson has done an excellent job on Cow Calf Corner um, telling producers they really need to understand what they're getting into, understand the grain price, the supplement price, the hay price, the break even, so that you know, you are making an informed decision rather than just, well, whatever, we're just going to feed as long as we can. Mm -hmm. Like, I do not agree that that's a good choice in this climate because we got a little rain, but we are not out of the woods and it may not rain in the spring, not to put a negative spin on this. It may not rain in February. Yeah. I hope it does. If I hope I we some get some extra rains. money. I would bet on it not raining. Well, well, I know you're the negative guy, Trent, but, oh, yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> but too pessimist over yeah, here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Josh, gotta be more optimistic. Put an optimistic spin on all this. It's always gonna rain. It's just always a day closer. Right. That's right. It, it will may not be on your farm. That's what he fails to say. <laughs> well, it is. We have. I will say we have seen a lot of um, you know producers looking at things a little differently this year. I've I've been doing nutrition analysis like out the wazoo. So it's it's good. It's it's nice to have those conversations with producers. It's nice to know that they're. Um, some of them are trying to look at the total costs. It's, you know, call us and have the conversation with your extension educator. They have an idea um, of what's going on, what the climate looks like, if you're just kind of trying to make a decision. And so, like you said, we're here to help you kind of manage those normal situations. I'm not going to lead somebody off into a, a risky management decision in a drought but now that's why we sound like pessimists because that's is. that's the way we operate is we right. try to keep people from making bad decisions but i think about again the backgrounding process and those cattle and everything you, you think about those animals as really efficient foraging machines 
And, and you can kind of look at a golf course as an example. You know, you got the rough that you mm. usually use a brush hog or a cow to go out there and harvest that forage. And on the green, you use a real mower, which might be those little young calves that have just been weaned that don't have tough mouths. They might have, at whatever stage they are, their teeth are underdeveloped or they might have lost their teeth and getting their new teeth and things like that go, go into play there. But especially with heifers, and, and I have a set of heifers right now that are going through that. They mm -hmm. look rough because they're it's hard for them to harvest forage right now. Mm -hmm. So just understanding the difference, and there's not a lot of high-quality hay out there. You're not going to take this failed milo crop that's full of old wheat straw and a lot of ash, a.k.a. dirt that you raked into the windrow, and then <laughs> big stem milo and feed that to background calves and hope that they do well. They like milk. You know, they, they were nursing their mother the day before, and then you threw them in a lot. Mm -hmm. And what hay are you going to feed them that they're going to do well on? Right. You know, and I have a precious stack of Bermuda grass hay bales that I'm holding on to that probably yielded half of what they normally would. And that's the situation all over the country. Mm -hmm. And we came into this drought in a lot worse shape than we came into the 2011 drought in terms of hay storage or, or hay in storage. So it's storing well in a drought. You know, I'm feeding hay bales that I bailed in June and there's not much rot on the bottom of them because there's no water. So we're not losing a lot of hay in the stack right now. But, you know, there's not these ample supplies coming into this. And as we said, triple dip La Nina or whatever they want to call it, you know, it's, it's something that's continuing and it's not bound to get better. We make our hay crop in the spring. So if it doesn't rain in the spring, we're talking March and April, consider that this situation is going to continue in terms of high hay prices and low quality or low availability of high quality hay. Going back to your Milo hay, obviously you want more leaves and big old stems, but Dana, what's the value of having grain in that bell? Uh, some of those Milo fields are already pushed out ahead. Is there benefits, negatives? To having grain in the hay bale? I think so. I mean, some people would say you're not going to get anything out of whole grain. The yeah. cows don't get anything out of it, and I disagree. Um, some of our whole grains are, you know, as far as limited digestion, but they do get some energy. They do get some of that out of it. You don't want to, you, when you think about, hey, you don't want a lot of grain in there because yeah. you have, you don't have control over how much grain they're eating. And so, um, acidosis yeah, an acidosis, <laughs> uh, if there's a lot of grain in the bottom of that hay feeder, um, then that can be an issue, but yeah, there is a good energy level. Um, sorghum or Milo grain is a, just a little bit less energy than corn. Um, but it's I, I it's available some some nutritionists would say no it's not worth it as far as an energy value but in in a bale i think it adds a little bit of value i'll say one thing from a producer standpoint feed it this year because you can't put enough net on that bale to stop the mice from right absolutely destroying it <laughs> and you know yeah. I, I have the same problem i mean i'm raking full heads of milo grain into this windrow and i'm like this is going to be a disaster if i carry any of this over trent has a mice feedlot his operation oh, yeah. This winter. yeah i feel bad feeding <laughs> mice ridden bales to cows because he needs a few again, good farm cats excrement and all this other stuff oh, in there that you don't it's want just... and it's best to get that hay fed pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I have seen some, I mean, uh, some guys who brought me seven or eight, nine forage samples, which is just a total fun puzzle to figure out. And some of that Milo hay, just hard to say Milo hay, but Milo hay is pretty high quality if you have the ability to feed it, of course. Every mm -hmm. hay has its perfect match with uh, animal. Milo hay is not for new calves. 
Mm-hmm. We want the most palatable forages for those calves because if they're not eating, they're getting sick. So that is so one point. Train if it is real stimmy, is it economical to hire a processor to come in and chop it up? Then you have to have the feed wagon to put yeah, it in. Yeah, you got to yeah. have bunks to feed it in. You know, I always look at some wasted hay as fertilizer for the pasture. So there's, <laughs> there's always an opportunity cost there. Some it's a that. terrible opportunity cost, but it is. Are they spreading I, it around equally I, so it's applied oh, equally, that's Trent? An, that's another pet peeve of mine. <laughs> uh, there's probably reasons for feeding in one spot and turning the ground black, but. I haven't seen it yet. I move my feeder every time I feed. I spread it out. I don't have an accumulation of organic material in one area to grow stable flies the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so that's something to think about. Also, if you're someone who likes to unroll hay, this failed Milo, you cut the net off, it explodes. Yeah. You can't unroll it. It's right. just a mess. I've seen quite a few of those. Oh, gosh. It's like and little talk, piles. Talk about the waste. I mean, so so what I did, I was like, oh, I'll I'll get ahead of this. I'll put the hay ring on the bale before I cut the net. Then the net's stuck. Yeah. Because the bale explodes and the net's stuck against the feeder. And if there's one thing I hate more than piles of hay in pastures, oh. it's my cows eating net. Oh, yeah. You don't want that. And that's, that's an un- misunderstood idea that a lot of people have that you can just leave the net on there. I mean, I've seen a lot of videos of vets pulling whole rolls of net out of dead cows because they ate this net. You know, the feedlot industry gets away with it because let's face it, those are short time animals. They and it is ground smaller. It's ground smaller. Yeah, they're not eating the whole thing. It's easier to pass. It. It, but yes, the, the feedlots do feed that. But if you're investing in a cow for eight, 10, 12 years, don't ruin her rumen by filling right. it full of net. I mean, it's yeah. hard enough to eat 40 pounds of hay a day. And then you got a bunch of nets sitting in the bottom of that rumen that never leaves. And all of it that's spread all over the country into oh. your neighbor's pastures stuck in the in the fences. So that's a big pet peeve of mine too. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't go down that road anymore. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. Tears up bearings yeah, and gear boxes. That's what I absolutely. The torch so, out. So... <laughs> I'm just leaving those hay bales wrapped as long as I can, hoping that, you know, the feeding situation gets better. But just understand that if you're used to normal hay bales, that you can just cut the net off of and put the feed bit ring on. It's going to be different, especially for our older producers. You know, sometimes when I'm trying to pull net off a hay bale, it's all I can do to get it pulled off of there. And I'm thinking of the, you know, 60, 70 year old guys that are out there trying. That's why a lot of times they just leave the net on there. Mm -hmm. And, And that's a poor poor situation for me like i tell my kids do your best yeah Yeah. so again josh in that situation if you could grind it and put it in bunks that would be the easiest way but that's a huge investment i had a producer thinking oh i think i should probably get a tub grinders like you and everybody else so right 100 (laughs) should we spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get through this or more i would sell the cows and buy them back at the end well that's what i mean that's what i'm saying it's like a like sarcastic yeah. question really unless you had 500 cows unless you are set up like some people are set <laughs> yeah. up some people have money to spend that that's great but that is not the solution and and if you want to be married to them you sure can because that once you start feeding like that it really requires a lot more and some people already do that so that that is some mm. people's management style and that's okay but uh, switching a totally forage fed maybe just forage based cow operation to a mixer tub grinder situation and eh, i'm not sure that that's a good investment we should do those numbers sometimes right i also heard quite a bit of chatter i don't know how much of the, the plans went through but more about silage this year especially for those 
failed corn in my little crops. That could definitely be another episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Josh, you can hire it in. You don't have to buy the tub grinder yourself, yeah. but then you have a huge pile of ground hay that if it does start raining or it snows or it ices on it, you're, you're degrading quality and things like that, and you got to buy forks to feed it, blah, blah, blah. One final thought that I'll offer, I was talking to you know some lenders, because I'm on the econ side, obviously, talking about these cow herds and you know those expensive heifers and those expensive cows we bought in 2014 have been refinanced probably three or four times and a lot of people are still paying on those here in 2022. Mm. So if we get into that situation where we're spending a lot of money to feed cows or spending a lot of money to add cows back after the drought, keep those things in mind that be slow, be intentional and and really think about what you're doing because it's kind of ruined some of these some of these operations plans for the future because they're still working through those expensive animals. So we'll talk about that more in the future. We've come to the end of our time with you. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions about this topic or anything else, feel free to reach out and talk to us. We'll see you later.